There we go. Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. <laughs> Oh, well, it looks like they're. Oh, it looks like they're all uh, staying on board. That's all oh, the heat's on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. They're not. <laughs> they're not venturing out yet. What is the temperature? Yeah, outside bundling. Anyway? Yeah, they, it's it's a little bit warmer tonight, so bundling up and enjoying yeah. the show. <laughs> so we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, first thing, the shout out. Hanukkah begins at sundown. It began at sundown tonight. It's pretty much sundown here. I guess on the West mm-hmm. Coast, not yet, but uh, Hanukkah begins tonight at sundown. So for all of you uh, of the Jewish persuasion, uh, happy Hanukkah. And uh, we, uh, we've we had some past episodes where we've talked about Hanukkah, and we've talked about uh, Passover and all that other good stuff. So you can check out those shows if you are interested, and if you've Joined us recently in recent years and haven't heard them. Uh, they are a good list, and we had a a, um, a rabbi on with us uh, that talked to us about all that stuff too. So check those out in the past if you like. Here we are, another yeah. episode. Uh, it is seven o two p.m. Eastern Time, Thursday, December the twelfth, twenty twenty. So if you're listening to us now, then you are live, and you can get a hold of us by texting or uh, go on Facebook and text us on Facebook or on the All About Wine site. I believe we can take messages through there. We're not taking live calls, but we do encourage you, if you have questions or anything, to go on textbook or our textbook Facebook or Blog Talk Radio or Twitch. Can they get a hold of us through Twitch? Okay. Yes, I can. I have okay, no idea so. what the link uh, is to it, but we do have a Twitch channel. <laughs> no okay, so there you go. That's so, so. If you have any questions or any comments or anything, you can always get a hold of us. And uh, Mike will, <coughs> excuse me, Mike will check it out, and uh, you know, and we can answer your questions right then, and and take care of it for you. So. With no guests tonight, and actually no guests for the next two weeks, uh, we got tonight and the next week, which is what the 18th? Uh, no, yes, 17th. Yeah. We got tonight and the 17th, the next two weeks, and then we're going to be off for two weeks because of the holidays. Uh, Christmas Eve, we're not going to do a show, and New Year's Eve, we're not going to do a show. So 
those two nights will be we will not be here. But if you miss us, you can always listen to archive shows. They're all available out there. So that's you can always check out some older stuff on that. But we got some new things to talk about tonight. Anything you want to put in here, Mike, before we uh, start? No, I, I think everything's good so far. Uh, I don't have anything right. to add to it. Yeah. All right. Well, if you think yeah, of, so you know, jump in. I no. don't mind. Right. So, um, some stuff to talk to you about, not anything earth-shattering, but just some news I found, different comments, different things that you might be interested in, and we'll get started right now. First thing, let me, actually, let me get to the page I need to get to here, because that helps a lot when I'm trying to talk about stuff as the proper page. First page here, this is from Wine Enthusiast website, and I, I want to share this with you, and I will post this on Facebook page, so you can uh, go there and see it, because you're not going to be able to follow all this, and I'm not going to read it all and everything, but this is an uh, interesting little article that says, How to Make Pretty Decent Wine at Home. And I think I might have posted something way in the past about how to make uh, wine, just a simple way to make wine. But this is a little bit more involved and talks about it a little bit more. I won't go through the whole article here because, like I say, I'm going to post it for you. But it is very good. It is good reference guides and starts out with saying it's no more complicated than to make wine than sourdough bread. But it requires more time and a few special tools. And... So this article basically tells you how to do that. The instructions below will make five gallons or about 25 750 milliliter bottles. Actually, not quite 25. It's like a little less uh, of your wine. And so it says here you'll need approximately $400 for grapes and basic supplies. And then you can go from there. So $25 for or 25 bottles for $400 might seem a little expensive, but it's not. Do the math, and it's really reasonably cheap. So it's a good way to start out. And then once you do get your basic supplies, they can be reused. So that's the good thing about it there. You can always get your starter kits and then continue from there. Now, it refers to merchants like MidwestSupplies.com, which I have used before in the past. They have a lot of supplies stuff. P.I. Wine, Presque Isle is what it is, P.I.Wine.com. And I've used them a lot in the past. They're very good people. I've used P.I. Wine for different supplies needed at the wineries. They are very good helping wineries, small wineries and stuff. They're very good about helping an individual if an individual is trying to do stuff. So if you're looking at anything i do recommend pi wine first midwest supplies second because i've used them and then napa fermentation.com i've never used them but it says that they have also starter kits at reasonable prices so any of those three then it says get your grapes which obviously is the next step and they give some sources for your grapes there they're saying you're gonna one place that they uh suggested uh says that you can get high quality frozen sauvignon blanc grapes from washington state for around 150 dollars which is about six dollars per bottle when you start breaking it down which isn't bad and then they go on and tell you about the crush and how to do 
the uh, uh, the crush. It tells you fermentation for white wine. It tells you fermenting the red wine. And then they say step four is watch the fermentation magic. And that's when the wine becomes wine. Actually, it uh, turns the uh, juice, the sugars turn to alcohol, and you get yourself uh, actual wine at that time. And then it has an article, or a section here, Protect Your Creation. And it goes into how you should minimize the uh, amount of time it, it is to do different things and sulfur dioxide or SO2, how much to put in it, and just different stuff like that, basic wine at home information for you. Home winemaking for dummies is also available. You can buy that if you want to go into more detail, but this pretty much tells it to you here. Step six, let it mature. That is the hardest part. I used to tell people at that came into the winery and said that they were making their wine or that they were planning on making their own wine, that the biggest mistake that home wine makers tend to always make was to try to hurry it. You have to wait until it's done. I don't know if you remember the old advertisement. I think Burl Ives was one that said it. We released no wine before our time. Or who was? I don't know if it was Burl Ives, whoever it was. But the old saying, we we release no wine before it's time. And that's an excellent point to make there when you are making your wine at home. Don't try to hurry. Orson Welles. Thank you. That's who it was. Okay. I knew it was one of those, you know, uh, old character actors or something. I couldn't remember. Actually, Orson Welles is a heavy set man, and so is Burl Ives. And I think that's my confusion. Oh, yeah. But Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. Uh... Some, a series of uh, advertisements for Paul Masson, uh California oh. wine from 1978 to 1981. I'm just going by my memory. That's all I can remember. I know. You're very good at that. I know. I appreciate that. That's, that's why I say jump in any time because that memory just strikes you and you have to release it. You know, you know. So, so um, yeah, Orson Welles uh, for Paul Masson. We, re- we released no wine before his time. And that's a good point when you're doing it at home. Don't try to hurry it. Hang on to it and let it mature. Let it finish itself in the carboy or whatever container you happen to be using, and then bottle it. And the bottling part is really pretty easy. You can bottle by hand. Uh, just get yourself a funnel and a scoop, and you can do it that way. If you want to do it any other ways, there's lots of ways you can go about it and all that. But bottle it by hand. You can siphon the wine into bottles uh, if you want to do it that way, or you can, you know, scoop it out or whatever. Clean bottles, clean storage, clean bottles, and then rinse them. Once you get new bottles, I don't care if you get them as soon as they roll off the line at the bottle manufacturing plant, rinse them out. Actually, you should have some SO2 on hand. Mix up some SO2 water and rinse them out with the SO2 water. That is really the best, easiest, cleanest way to get your bottles prepared, a little SO2 water. And then bottle them. Put your cork in it. Or you can also uh, get your, your own corker, or you can rent a corker. They they have them in different places. Uh, again, Prescott, Midwest, uh, 
uh, wine supplies. All those have corkers for sale for, I don't know, $80 you know, or less if you're planning on continuously doing it. Or you can get yourself bottles with screw cap. And those are available too. You, you know, you're going to be drinking them soon. So you don't need to worry about aging too much. So get your bottles and bottle the wine. And then, if you really want to get fancy, you can make your own labels. Uh, you can do it any number of ways. You can print yourself up your own labels. There's websites out there, I believe, that you can go to that will help you print labels. And if you really want to be super fancy, you can put on some tops, uh, some uh, uh, capsules on the top of it. And uh, capsules are PVC or metal or any number of types you can get, and you can put those on it. And if you get PVC, which I do highly recommend because it's much easier, uh, get PVC and just hold a hairdryer on it, and it'll, it just melts right around it. And you got yourself your bottle of wine. And, again, you have a couple of cases of wine. You can give it out as Christmas presents. Uh, well, it's a little bit too early now, but uh, you can give it out as presents. You can drink it yourself. And I'll tell you what's going to happen, too. If you make wine and you ask people how is it, everybody's going to tell you it was good because that's how it works. Everybody, oh, that's pretty good. Even if it tastes like caca, they're going to tell you it's pretty good. So you can be happy about that. So I'm going to post this uh, after the show. I'll uh, post this onto our Facebook page. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, then I will, uh, then you can follow directions here and just make your own wine. And I welcome, with no restraint, anyone who wants to send me wine. I will be more than happy to taste it for you. And I guarantee you, if it doesn't taste good, I'll let you know what's wrong with it. I'm not going to be polite. I will let you know, ooh, this is a little stringent or this is a little this or that. But once you start making it, you get more enjoyment out of it, more fun out of it, and much more fun out of drinking it. And again... When you make your own wine, after you've made yourself two or three batches and you think you're really an expert, you think you're doing great, then run down to the store and buy yourself a bottle of wine and compare it to yours. You'll know, say, ooh, i got a long ways to go because, yeah, usually you do. So once it's over, if you're interested in making your own wine, then, again, start looking on the Facebook page. I will post this up there for you to be able to follow directions and do your own wine. Okay, so let me get out of this and go to my next one here. Oh, is that the page I want? No, that is not the page I want. This. And go to this one. Can light hurt your wine? Bottom line, can light hurt your wine? I'll just sound like it in that. Yes. A resounding yes. Light can and will hurt your wine. All right, light strike, a common term used, and it really will affect wine. It could cook wine, and when I say cook, it's exactly what it does. It changes those 
fruity floral flavors and aromas to a, a cabbage, a wet cardboard smell, a wet dog smell. You know those smells. That's what can happen. So keep the wine out of the sun. Don't put it in the sun. Don't store it in the sun. Don't buy it when it's in the sun. And this is a, a good rule to follow, too. Uh, direct sunlight affects the wine. Uh, that's why a lot of red wines are put in a colored bottle, uh, colored bottle, because the UV rays, the ultraviolet rays, will get into it and kill the wine. It's a natural occurring riboflavin or vitamin B2, uh, and the um, vitamin B5 start going crazy in there, and that's what the sunlight does, activate those, and those molecules then react with the amino acids in it, and it yields a sulfur compound. And you can smell at very low levels, sulfur compound. It doesn't take much, and it stinks. You know what sulfur smells like. Uh, a match is a good example of sulfur that has sulfur in it to, for the burning. So these are activated when it winds in sunlight. As little as three hours in sunlight is all it really takes for a clear bottle of wine to be affected by sun. So... Wine in green bottles or, or brown bottles are a little bit longer. They can take up to 18 hours. But don't buy wine in a store that puts their wine up in the front by the windows. That's just rule number one right there. You walk into a wine shop and you see these these nice wines that are in little displays right inside the door and all that. And if the store is facing east or west directly, then you're going to get some direct sunlight in that door and are in that store windows, and it's going to hit those wines. So avoid those if you can. I mean, it just any wine shop that does that should know better anyway, and that's, like I said, over and over again, find yourself a wine shop that you like and enjoy, and they know what they're doing. Well, if they know what they're doing, they would not do that. So just keep that in mind. So anyone that is in sunlight can get cooked. So keep it out of the sunlight. Don't buy it when it's in the sunlight. And just, you know, you, you want to protect as much as you can. Also, and I say sunlight, but that's not the only thing that can cause wine to be cooked. There is also UV rays coming from other light, fluorescent particularly. Fluorescent lights will give you UV rays, and they will also tend to cause the wines to start going bad. The protection in green glass offers moderate protection to the to the uh, wine, uh, and clear glass is very little, if any. So green glass is easiest to produce in large quantities, and so it's easy to help protect some of the light strike, but the best that has been shown has been an amber glass, but you don't find a whole lot of wines in amber because it costs a little bit more, a little bit harder to produce. So um, your green is better, but again, you know, avoid sunlight and avoid the uh, UV lights altogether. And again, the fluorescent lights are are bad on it. It can cause light strike. You want to get your simple light bulbs, your LED bulbs and stuff like that. 
if you walk into a winery again and they have wines on display and on along the walls and they got this nice fluorescent lights above them to highlight them and stuff like that again question that you know if it's a shop you like and people are doing it a question that if you know the people if you you know think you can say something about it and not you know get them mad or something then say something because fluorescent lights can cause damage and if those wines aren't moving off the shelf and they're sitting there for some time it could happen especially on the more expensive bottles if they have a a locked shelf with uv light or um, fluorescent lights to display them uh, they, they sh- really should know better uh expensive wines and all that no matter how how well they're protected with the glass, the UV light continuously day after day after day is not a good thing. And they don't move. They don't rotate those. You're not going to go in there today and say, oh, I'll pick it up in a couple of days. And by the time you get back, it's going to be a new bottle there you can pick up. It's going to probably be the same one that's been sitting there for a while because people don't go out and buy a whole bunch of very expensive wines on a regular basis, especially in your local shops. So sunlight... Big, big no. Fluorescent lights, the second big no. Try to keep your wines as much as you can underneath regular light bulbs or no light at all. The darker, the better. The I had a friend of mine in California who, um, back when I was uh, in wine groups and stuff, one of the guys absolutely refused to buy any wine that was anywhere near fluorescent light bulbs. He said it would affect it, and he could taste the difference, and he refused to mind. I question the fact how much he can taste the difference, but he swore he could, so, hey, okay, don't. And he had himself, like, two specific wine shops that he used to go to all the time because they did not use fluorescent. And, yeah, I, I frequented them quite a bit myself simply because they were local and they were easy to get to, and they did not use for us so keep your wine protected once you get it but also be sure it's protected before you get it don't be storing it in a place where it's going to be getting the sun i mean you can have pretty wine racks in the house but be sure they are away from sunlight and if you want to display your wine at home don't put it underneath fluorescent bulbs use a regular light bulb okay so I've got that. I wanted to pass that on to you, so we're done with that. And let's see, the next thing. Oh, a while back, I don't know if you remember me talking about it, but a while back I talked about the oil spill at Rodney Strong. Excuse me. Rodney Strong Winery had an oil spill. Of uh, it emptied a hundred thousand gallon tank and polluted the Russian River, and it uh, you know they were afraid it was going to kill a, a X number of thousands of fish. This was back in January twenty second of, of this year, uh, our first beginning of twenty twenty, and what was going to be bringing us, I guess. But January 22nd of this year, there was this uh, accident at uh, Rodney Strong Winery. In, this was in Sonoma. And the spill was approximately 97,000 gallons. And it just overwhelmed the drainage system. 
and it was staining the grounds as it poured into the Ryman Creek, and this eventually led into the Russian River. And they were panicking, and they were worried, and they were worried about the fish, and they were worried about everything along the thing. Well, a follow-up on that, and it took them a number of months for a follow-up on that, and it was worried that Rodney Strong could face fines of either $10 per 1,000 gallons that were not contained or $10,000 for each day the violation occurred. And they came back and they said that because of rains that were happening there, and they had a lot of rains going on about the time of the spill, it was washing out the spill quickly. And it did not cause the water to exceed health standards. It did not, there was no notice that fish were being killed and that uh, the variety of associate impact, including higher levels of dissolved minerals, grease, and oil, and the uh, decomposed organic material that the water board found were minimal. It wasn't really a higher level. It was uh, pretty low amounts. Uh, they said higher flows in the river that day after recent rains probably helped dilute the wine and minimize the harm to aquatic life. And so, therefore, there was very little fines and very little charge against Rodney Strong because of it. It was uh, dissipated quite a bit because of the rains that happened naturally there. And Rodney Strong and the winery got on top of it reasonably fast and was able to stave off a lot of the potential damage. And so the fine was, let me see, I'm let me click on this other page here and see if I can see the exact amount of the fine. Uh its allegations and uh, no it doesn't say it this is the actual actual finding from the water board of north coast regional water quality control board which is a big name for the people but on september 22nd wow we're just not getting this information on september 22nd they found that uh it was dissipated and it wasn't a major issue. I don't see anywhere here where it states a fine. It says that water discharge requirements, industrial stuff, all their permits were in order, and everything was good, and they covered it well, but I don't see where a fine or if there was, how much it was. So if I do say anything about that in the future, I'll let you know, but uh, from... The spill that I first reported way back the first of the year after investigation, nothing. It seems like uh, maybe a slap on the hand, if that much. If I do see a fine announced, I will let you know. But as of right now, there there is none. Well, let's see. I can, I can call this number or, uh, yeah, I, I may do that. I won't. Let's see, that's a staff writer. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll call this number and see if uh, 
see if the people who wrote this article have a uh, any information on how much the the fine was. So uh, let me make a note of that. Call about fine amount. And I will do that tomorrow, and I'll let you know next week what I find out. Okay. These people usually talk to you if you call them and ask them about this stuff. If you can get a hold of the right department, as long as they don't bounce me around for a number of times. Okay, so let's go back to this next one here. Clean wine. This is becoming quite a quite a thing here. Uh, a clean, stable, natural wine is is something that's new. Now these are avoiding natural defects like bread, retinitis, uh, mousiness, and volatile acidity without the conventional toolbox of selected yeast, SO2 filtration, and sterilizers. So it's a different approach to getting clean wine, getting all this stuff nice and pretty and natural without adding a bunch of chemicals. And it's a pretty long article. I'm not going to go through all of it. But a small amount of SO2 is usually added to wine simply because it does stabilize it and stop the fermentation process. And SO2 does stop fermentation process on a lot of stuff when it's fermenting, which is something that is good because I've had problems with different things that had not stopped fermentation and exploded on me and came all over the room, all over me, all over my wife when she was helping me and everything. It became a became an issue. But healthy grapes, ripe grapes, and picked early to obtain better natural acidity tends to be the first step. It's beneficial that they pick the grapes at a lower pH level and had little or no SO2 because the less microbes that are added to it, the better it is. They use the natural SO2 that's in it, and they do have a natural SO2. Also, the grape chemistry is checked closely, and grapes are regularly monitored for pH and potassium. And higher levels of potassium can lead to higher pH, and so therefore they want to keep those down. And they can add tartaric acid or more SO2 when the pH is high, but natural wines must work with the grape's existing chemistry, so they try to avoid that. Cleanliness in a winery, you can't over-sanitize. That's really the bottom line. Uh, By keeping the winery clean, it helps keep down the microbes. It helps lower the chances of defects. It helps lower the chances of getting veterinomyces uh, or bread. It helps everything. Uh, clean, clean, clean. That's I. Whenever I was doing bottling and during the program here, I, you know, be in the middle of bottling, and I'd say that's what we would do. We would bottle wine, then clean, 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 clean for a day, then bottle wine, which would take a half a day, and then clean, clean, clean for a day and a half, then bottle more wine. I mean, it was just a constant, continuous thing, keeping it clean, because you never know where any bacteria might come from, 
and on any surface that it might be on. So you would be constantly cleaning everything to keep everything clean so you wouldn't pick up any bacteria. Same thing with these mobile bottling businesses, these mobile bottling trucks that they have out in California that go around to different places and bottle for you. You just pump from your tank out to the truck, and they bottle and they cork and they capsule and they label and they do everything right in that truck. You you pump the wine in one end, and you got your wine stacked up on pallets on the other end, and you haul it away. And it's a great process, but I'll tell you what, they clean those trucks so much and so often, it is a full-time job just to keep them clean because you don't want to transfer any type of bacteria or microbes from one volume to the other, and it's it's critical. So clean, clean, clean. Conventional winemakers add SO2 early to inhibit the yeast and bacteria, and that can lead to volatile acidity, and they can take advantage of certain reverse osmosis filters to remove volatile acidity. And there's lots of things to do, but basically sterile filtration and cleaning is the number one thing that can be done with uh, everything that you're doing on that. So uh, also... One thing you find in wineries is fruit flies, little bitty fruit flies. And it's just it's amazing that you can sit there and not have a single fruit fly around you at all. <coughs> Excuse me. And then you start bottling wine, and you have a colony of fruit flies all over the place. It's just amazing. And it happens. And fruit flies carry acetic acid bacteria and so you want to keep those down as much as possible and so cleanliness is a good way to keep the fruit flies down so this is different things you can do that need to be done to get your clean wine or your your natural wine excuse me i don't have the covid i have a cough from a medication I'm taking, uh, lisinopril. Lisinopril is infamous for cough. And uh, I take lisinopril, which is causing me to cough more than I want to. And uh, it works well for me. And so it keeps my heart beat regular and low and where it should be. And so actually it's it's my blood pressure. Keep blood pressure right where it should be. So I keep continue to take lisinopril and to continue to cough. Best time to manage the microbes is during fermentation. That's when everything is going through all the stuff, and that's when everything is, you see, the most critical. The fermentation process is when you're switching all that over from grapes and yeast to alcohol. And so during that process, you can also start getting problems with any number of things. pH could rise or lower uh, CO2 levels or argon. You need to uh, watch that. Uh, Minimize oxygen to prevent uh, bacteria from developing and all sorts of stuff. These are all things that, that when they do a clean wine that they try to keep within certain parameters so that it uh, doesn't affect the final product. 
Low doses of SO2 are added prior to fermentation, and in very low doses, 10 to 15 parts per million, which is uh, really pretty low. That's usually what a wine is going to have during natural fermentation anyway, so it's not going to be something they're going to be adding a whole lot. Uh, a lot of wineries, 15 to 35 parts per million uh, to keep the fruitiness. I used to bring it up to about 70 parts per million on the wines I made, which is a little bit higher, but a lot of my wines tend to be a little bit sweeter, not a lot, but a little bit sweeter, and that sweetness could result in a second fermentation starting in the bottle, which happened to me a couple of times, and that SO2 stopped that. So I would add the SO2 to try to balance it out. Most wineries keep it below 100. Very few of them you find above 100, but when you're trying to do a clean wine or a natural wine, that SO2 level is usually kept real low, as, as low as you possibly can. And then during barrel aging, this is another thing. You clean those barrels over and over. Reverse osmosis is used a lot uh, on barrels. <coughs> Excuse me again. Reverse osmosis is used a lot on barrels, and this stops a lot of bacteria in the barrels. Uh, so this is, uh, you'll find a lot of wine you're using reverse osmosis, which just sucks all the oxygen out of it. Reverse osmosis just makes it, you don't want to be in a room that has had reverse osmosis without having something to air it out because reverse osmosis just sucks the oxygen out of the air. It could kill you. Yeah, yeah, it could. And then they say leave lean heavily on lab analysis, which is a good idea. I mean, if you can, if you've got your own lab, do your own testing. Do your own testing all the time to see where everything is. There's a lot of stuff you can test yourself. Uh, SO2 levels can be tested. Uh, alcohol levels can be tested. Uh, pH levels can be tested. A lot of this stuff, simple tools you can test yourself. More intense testing you can send off to labs. And there's lots of labs out there you can use. But most of your simple testing can be done right in the house. And this is what makes it nice because you can check and see where everything is. And to have a clean wine, you want to know what your levels of everything are just about all the time. It's a simple test. Do yourself a wine thief, a little tube that you can dip down into the barrel and do yourself wine thief, pull yourself out. Uh, four or five ounces of it, and you can do all of your tests on that. Most of it requires a small amount of wine to do testing. And then you're done. Uh, you've got to balance your risk. Uh, when you find things, is this what I want? Is this good? Is this, I mean, you can have a clean wine or natural wine, but is it bottom line going to taste good? You want to be sure that your final product is a quality product. It's great to say, well, this was made with no SO2 and the uh, pH was low and the acid was at the perfect level and all that, and you have yourself a perfect wine, but you might not have one that tastes like anything people want. So you have to balance that out, too. Is this wine something that people are going to enjoy? And that's a big plus, obviously. Uh, you don't want to make a wine that is perfect, and you can do that. Every winery can make a, quote, 
perfect wine, unquote, because it's we've got the tools to do it. You know, we can do anything we want with the wines. We can manipulate it any way we want, and all that, and make the wine what is called the perfect wine. But is it one that people will enjoy? And probably not. Probably not. if the perfect wine will one people enjoy, then every winery would be making the same wine. And that would get awful boring. So you want ones that are going to taste different. You want ones that are going to be a little bit different to each style of winery. But the natural wines and the clean wines are the ones that are doing the steps up to it that are not using a lot of chemicals and keeping it within balance and everything else. And this is what's important, uh, doing uh, crafting a clean, natural wine that is enjoyable and that people will like and, and, and buy. And that's really, isn't it, the bottom line? You want wines that people will buy? Uh, natural wines, I mean... This is a continuation of that one article. They talked about natural wines here. And uh, let me uh, go into this just a little bit. Basically, natural and clean wines are pretty much the same thing. But uh, a new definition, let's have clarity on this category. Okay. It says, uh, virtues of natural wine are much debated with strong feelings on both sides. One of the most common criticisms leveled from outside the natural wine community is that... (coughs) Oh, excuse me, got to catch that time. Is that there has never been an agreed-upon definition of what natural wine actually is. What is natural wine? Okay. When I first started talking about natural wine 15 years or so ago, people kind of knew what they were talking about. But I think it's become more popular now, and because it's became more popular now, they want an actual... <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, nasty cough tonight. Sorry. It's more popular now, and because of it, they want terms defined. They want to know what natural wine is. And it's not organic. You can't say natural wine is organic wine. You can't say it is biodynamic. It's just a certification that is basically what I just was talking about. uh, There's two natural wine certifications, one with sulfites, one without uh, and when you add sulfites, it's still within the natural wine range, uh, one without sulfites again, and you're not looking at calling it organic because there are other steps to it. And, uh, oh, I, my engineer just brought me a wine. It's almost done with the show. I, I get a wine for the program. This is Canoe Ridge Vineyards. It is from Columbia Valley. It's a 2019 Cabernet Sauvignon. It says, Legend has it on their Columbia River journey, explorers Lewis and Clark noticed a ridge resembling an overturned canoe, the inspiration for our Canoe Ridge Vineyard name. Reaching beyond our namesake's vineyard into surrounding regions, 
our winemakers select from the best grapes to create Canoe Ridge Vineyard Columbia Valley wines. Handcrafted at our Walla Walla Winery, these wines offer true varietal character made for everyday enjoyment. The Cabernet Sauvignon offers flavors of dark cherry and earthiness with a hint of vanilla bean. Uh, canoe Ridge Vineyard.com in Walla Walla, Washington. And so, this, let me see, uh, do some describing here for you if I can. Oh, a nice aroma to it. I, I, let me see if I can't place this aroma. Little earthiness. I it really is some earthiness to it. Not not fresh turned over earth, but uh an, an earthiness that you would find walking through um a farm field, not one that's just been turned for planting, but one that is just, you know, nice field. That type of aroma to it. And boy, that's about all I'm getting. I'm not getting any Any berry flavors, any dark berries or anything to it. I'm just getting that earthiness to it. Tastes like. Hmm. Tannin, but not heavy tannins. I can detect a little bit of oak. Uh, the tannin gives you that little, little dryness in the back of the mouth. Finish is very nice. The, the aftertaste is still coming, still lingering back there, the back of the mouth. I can taste that the oak is still coming out from the aftertaste, which is very nice. It's not real heavy. It's not real, real dry. It is dry. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon, so it is dry, but not a puck your mouth. Oh my gosh, I need a glass of water. Dry. It is got some nice balance. The uh, acid is really, really well balanced with the flavors, which is something that's nice. A lot of people don't like the acid, so this would be something that you can enjoy without having an excess amount of acid. It's got some very good... I, I go back to this aftertaste, this finish again. It's still lingering there a little bit, which is something that you really really don't find often. A lot of times aftertaste just stops, and this one is lingering a little bit for me. The earthiness comes through in the taste, too. I'm, I'm still getting that uh, earthy flavors and taste. Uh, I think they said that on the back, didn't they? Yeah. They said dark cherry, though. I'm not getting a whole lot of dark cherry, but no, well, maybe so. Maybe that's some of the taste I'm getting. Vanilla bean? No, that I'm, I'm getting oak, but not vanilla bean oak. I'm getting just just the dry oak. Nice wine. I don't think I recall the price. Do you recall the price? I asked my engineer. She doesn't either. But uh, Canoe Ridge, uh, C-A-N-O-E, Canoe Ridge, R-I-D-G-E Vineyard, out of Walla Walla, I think. No, Columbia Valley. Columbia Valley, but the grapes were from Walla Walla. In Washington, 2019 Cabernet Sauvignon. It's worth it. I'm, I'm sure 
we didn't pay over 20, so it's it's usually in people's comfort range there. Uh, check it out. It's uh, it's a decent wine. It really is. It's enjoyable wine. I will I will finish enjoying it after the program here. Back to natural wines. Natural wines. Are we talking? Yeah, we're still talking natural. Certification process establishes seems to mean that they're going to have to start getting more people on board with it, like sommeliers and even consumers. Who cares? This is a natural wine. Oh, okay, thanks. You know, and that's really what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to the natural wine is going to invite imposters. I don't think so. And the reason is because a few people are out there looking for organic wine. And they're finding it. They're saying, oh, great, I'm an organic wine fan. I want organic wine. And there are a few, very few people out there looking for biodynamic. And and not a lot because there's not a big movement for biodynamic. And a lot of the labels don't even mention that they're biodynamic. So even the people who do biodynamic aren't embracing it a lot because... Well, they know people aren't educated in it. You, my listeners, are. You know all about biodynamic. You know all about organic, and you're educated, and you look for it. But most people, let's face it, they don't. They don't know what this is out there. And the same thing. Oh, excuse me again. Same thing goes for the natural wine. People don't know. People don't know what they're looking for. They don't know what it means. They don't know anything about it. So. Why would a winery work and worry about a natural wine certification? And we've talked about this. In fact, recently in the last month or so, we talked about one of our guests was talking about natural wines and certifications and stuff. It's something that it's going to take education, and education is the key to it. And you, uh, the listeners of the program, are the first step in the education. You guys are... I'm sure more educated about wines than a lot of people out there because you listen to the program. We try to keep you up on stuff, and you're the ones that's going to talk about natural wines and biodynamic and organic and and AVAs and stuff like this that most people aren't familiar with. And that's where it starts. We try to pass on stuff here on the program, and then you have the ball in your court, and you try to pass it on even more. So. That's what it is. But natural wines, you can look for that. I doubt you're going to find very many labels that say natural wine on it. I I haven't looked for it. And I've had no calls. I don't go out as much to stores as I used to because it's COVID. But it might be something, if you're out in your travels and you're looking and you find natural wines... Drop me an email and let me know. I would really be curious if, if there's some out there. If, if any of you are still going out doing wine shopping or wine cruising or or wine looking, uh, let me know. There's a quick thing I want to talk to you about, and it's a pretty big article, but I'm not going to go into it. The new conversation now is about white wine with tannin. Yeah, you go, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But what is tannin? Okay, tannin is that 
dryness came out, that that bite, that structure that tannin gives. Uh, tannin also gives a little bit more complexity to the wine, a little bit more depth. And these are things that the tannin gives a red wine. Why can't it give it to the white wine? Well, tannin is derived from the contact of the skin and the seeds. And so, therefore, you leave that wine in contact with the skin and seeds. White wines, usually, you just do the juice. You get the free flow juice off of it, and you do the juice, and you don't have the contact with the skin and seeds. And when you do start getting contact with skin and seeds, you start getting your different colored wines. You start getting your orange wine, you start getting different colored wine. This will drive people crazy. Obviously, if you have too much color of skin, because not all white wines are are white skinned. Some of them are different colors. You look up color of skins of grapes, and you're going to see a whole bunch. There are a variety of skin colors out there, and the reds are going to be red, and they're going to be purple, and they're going to be dark or black or stuff. But the white ones can be white or green or purple or dark or any number of colors there, too. And you pull the skin off of it, and you get a nice clear juice, all the ones with the darker skin. And that's what you get your white wines. Well, once that skin is on it and you ferment with it, then you're going to start getting tannins. It's just going to start coming up on some of these. Uh, Fermenting white grapes with 100% of their skin for many months is becoming a growing trend that uh, is ahead of the partial skin contact. In other words, there's just enough time to impact some beneficial texture and firmness and tannins into the white wines. Okay, now this is something that most people don't look for in white wines, but... (coughs) Excuse me again, I really apologize for my cough. 25% 25% of the grapes out there spend one week with their skins and 5% spend one month, okay? Now, most of the time, it's not much longer than that on the ones that want to get a little bit of tannin because it's still experimental, and again, people aren't used to it yet, but it does bring some texture. It does bring some flavor, and it does bring some of the terror, which, again, is the quality of the earth and everything else that's going to be added to it. And so it's going to give you a a different type of flavor. 95% of tannins reside in the skin and seeds. Okay, that's where most of it is. Very little of it's in the pulp. You can pick up tannins from oak, but not a lot to make a real big difference. And so that's going to with the skin and seeds being 95% of the tannins, that's where it's going to come from. So you leave the grapes in contact with that, and you're going to increase the tannins. Also, though, you're going to increase the color profile, which would be one of the things that turn people and winemakers off from having tannic white wines. Chardonnay, very popular of having tannins in it, and the oakiness and the tannins. It's uh, one that's used quite often as one to put tannins, but Chardonnay is played with by everybody everywhere for everything, so that shouldn't surprise us. 
white wines with tannins are becoming more and more popular, more and more used. I don't think you're going to see it on a bottle. It's not going to say uh, a nice firm Chardonnay with flavors of butter and tannin. It's not going to add the word in tannin in it. It's just going to give it more subtle structure. And that's what it's going to do more than anything. Now I'm going to find your lighter white wines, definitely not your sweeter ones. Sweeter wines are not going to be containing tannins. It's just going to be the the heavier ones. So these are things that are going to start coming out in white wines. There's a little bit of tannin to give it more structure, to give it more uh, style, if you will, and to soften some of the edges. Tannin can soften the edges of some of the, the acid in the white wines. So look for that in there. And, uh, you know, the orange wines may have tannins. That's something I should have asked our guest that was talking about the orange wines. I should have asked her how many orange wines really do have tannin because being in touch with the skin could really cause that to happen. So, so tannin and white wines, a little structure, a little something new. It might already be in some of them you're tasting. I doubt seriously they're going to advertise it, but it could really create a much more balanced wine and one with a little bit more depth and a little bit more flavor that you would not normally find in some other wines. So uh, look for it. Look for the white wines and tannin. One other thing I'm going to talk about here, one other two, I don't know, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. Uh, the tariffs. We talked about the tariffs that uh, President Trump had put on wines coming from the European Union. The reason for those tariffs, and I think I mentioned when I first talked about the reasons for those tariffs, was because everybody's just playing, you know, well, childish games is really what it was. The tariffs go back to 2005. When the trade war between the U.S. and European Union started, this is when both sides complained to the World Trade Organization that the other side was subsidizing commercial aircraft production. Boeing in the United States and Airbus in Europe. And so all the time for over a decade, there were, you know, don't do that. No, you don't do that. No, I shouldn't do that again. Just childish games that these countries and organizations are playing until Donald Trump got in the office and he said, hey, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're going to put tariffs on you for doing this by subsidizing Airbus. And so the EU says, okay, well, if you're going to do that to us, we're going to do it to you too. And so both sides put tariffs. Well, Donald Trump put some pretty big tariffs on it. We've talked about it. We've heard about it and all that. And it's it's came quite a bit. But now we have a new president coming in on the 20th of October, Joe Biden. And his foreign policy was well known for quite some time as a senator, and that's one of the reasons why Obama picked him as a vice president, because of his 
his uh, foreign policy and stuff. But it looks like that the tariffs are not going to be toned back. looks like it's going to continue for a while. There's no easing of the tariffs right away. It looks like that, well, to begin with, there hasn't been any change in the schedule. It hasn't been any change in the uh, person who is in charge of uh, the tariffs and stuff, and so it looks like it's going to be with us for a while, at least three to six months, and maybe longer. U.S. companies are hurt by the tariffs in European, uh, more so than European wineries and European wines, but it looks like maybe they might roll back the tariffs on wine and keep it in place for liquors and spirits. That as a wine drinker, would be something that I would embrace more so than if they, well, if they rolled back everything, I think it would be better. But the tariffs on wine could be rolled back before anything else. And if that were the case, it could help restaurants. It could help the sell price of our wines coming out of France and Spain and Germany and all over Italy, all over Europe, uh, we could really see a, a decrease in prices from those areas because of the tariff. Uh, but don't know. The bottom line is the new president will still have a Republican-controlled Senate, and they are heavy on this tariff to try as a retaliation. So. Not to get political on this, this wasn't a political talk, it's just letting you know what was happening because we are the ones that are paying the price for these foreign wines and that's the reason why, because of the tariffs and it's not going to end with a new president, it just maybe with any luck might end on wine but on other spirits it might not, but it doesn't look like right now it's going to end on anything. So... We've got that to look forward to. Okay, something else here that I want to mention before we go. Maybe a couple of things here. Uh, South Australian COVID. We who live in our countries, be it the United States or... uh, Mongolia or or Nepal or England or wherever we live, we think about our country and we think about the COVID-19 and how it's affecting our country. And we're seeing reports in our country and we're seeing reports of hospitalizations and of deaths and all that. But this is happening around the world. It's not just our own country. And sometimes I think the impact of thinking of it around the world is almost staggering. But South Australia is having, the wine sector is having a very, very hard time down there. The COVID-19 lockdown is into a second phase now. They did it once and it helped and then they got another spike and so they're locking down again. And so this is the second major lockdown. And it's really starting to affect it. They don't have the people to do the bottling. They don't have the people to do the picking. They don't have the people to do the work that needs to be done. It uh, 
uh, winemaker down there and uh, chief executive of the Australian Grape and Wine Association. It's very concerning. I mean, the winemaking process doesn't just stop after you pick the grapes. It continues on throughout the year, and this is one of the problems. We are going into the first of winter. They're going into the first of summer there. They should start having stuff already in the ground and already doing stuff, but it needs to be taken care of throughout the summer, and then when harvest starts, they need to get people for that. (coughs) Excuse me again. And so it's a constant thing, and in southern Australia, they can't find the people with the lockdown. Uh, business has had to stand down people without pay. They've had to back off. They thought they were getting things to tick back up, and then all of a sudden, a second lockdown. And so South Australia is another place if you... You know the best way to help, and anybody on this program again buy Sonoma wines, buy Napa wines because of the fires, Oregon, Washington fires. Best way to help is buy South Australian wines. If you're not sure which ones they are, I think most South Australian wines are actually stated on the bottle, made in South Australia. These things help. These things help the areas and help the people and help the wineries. Uh, whenever you buy wines from certain areas. It really does help the wineries because it gives them that much-needed income, and that's what's going to help get them through it. So, so help them. Uh, again, South Australia is is one of them that is having problems with their uh, with the COVID nineteen and lockdowns and all that that are happening there. Okay, now I'm not done yet. I got another couple of things. I'm going to get you on the timely manner here. Uh, this is a continuation of things we're continuously talking about, and I have to talk about it again. And that is the spotted lanternfly. Last week I mentioned areas that they were found the spotted lanternfly. And areas that it was uh, affecting Colorado, they found it, and in California stuff. Well, the spotted lanternfly isn't just moving west. The spotted lanternfly is moving north. And that means if you look north of Pennsylvania, you're going to find New York. And not really north-north, but yeah, basically. And that's where the spotted lanternfly has been recently found is in New York, and New York has a tremendous amount of grapevines, excuse me, of grapevines there, and there are wine grapevines, they're not just table grapes, they're wine grapevines, it's, uh, came from Asia, let's see, 2020 may go down as a great year, as a great year for Finger Lake wines, and uh, it will have been a bad year for pests. The spotted lanternfly has been spotted in several regions around New York City, with sightings near Staten Island, and it's moving northward. Uh, Ithaca, New York, uh, just here in November is the first time it was found, and the bug destroyed acres of crops in Pennsylvania, and it's working its way across the United States. Now it's working north. 
winter might slow the movement down, and we hope so, but uh, they will last to the winter, and they need a longer growing season. So the further north they get, uh, they may not be exposed to the long seasons they need, but along the valleys within the Finger Lakes areas, uh, it's warm enough that they could survive. Those areas could be at risk. Everyone is out in the vineyards looking for the egg clusters, and they find them, they crush them and remove them and try to get rid of them before spring uh, when they start hatching. They will survive uh, a little bit colder weather during during the egg cycle, and they want to diminish it before it gets out of control. So they're out looking all over. The eggs can be transferred on firewood, and that can trigger the spread. Uh, move anything around the vineyard that the eggs are on and could send it to different areas. Serious, serious problems there. The I, I first reported about a spotted lanternfly about a year ago, I guess it's been now, and this is something we're going to have to keep an eye on. It's starting to get into some areas that really, really could be serious. Um, New York Finger Lakes areas can be one of them. Uh, if you are living in any of those areas, or you are around uh, a vineyard and you want to do it, then the best thing to do is take a picture of it and send it to spottedlanternfly at dec.newyork.gov or newyork.gov, ny.gov, if you're in that area, or Take a picture, or, or the next best thing would be to scrape off eggs into a Ziploc bag with sanitizing alcohol, and you can send it to any uh, government agency in your state or whatever and have them identify that it is a spotted wing landing fly. Serious stuff. Serious, serious stuff. Um, this thing can be even worse for the vineyards and everything that Phylloxera was in Europe. I mean, it, it could devastate this whole country and the uh, grape business. And not just table grape, but, I mean, grape business. It, it could be something that could affect grapes and table grapes and raisin grapes and wine grapes and every possible grape you can think of. So uh, this is... Uh, something that we have to watch, we have to be careful about, we have to keep on top of over the next, uh, well, ever. Supreme Court opens another case of wine. Let me tell you about this one here, and I'll let you go tonight. Now, this one is, uh, again, a timely matter. It looks like the thorny subject of interstate shipping is headed back to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is balanced a little bit now in a different direction than it has been. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Last year, hearing arguments for what looked like a landmark ruling, several U.S. Supreme Court justices said they wanted to be done with wine cases for a while. And after that one last year, they said, that's it, we don't want to fool with this. But now it's possible that the issue of wine shipping will be back in the Supreme Court as soon as the next session. This is the case of Lebanoff, or Leb, Lebamoff, Leb, Lebamoff, L-E-B-A-M-O-F-F, Lebamoff versus Whitmer. The 
court might finally directly answer the question that it seemed to answer last year, whether a state can allow its own retail stores to ship to its residents, but forbid stores in other states from shipping to the residents. All right. Now, we don't know. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. This is something that has been going on for a long time. You might say, I thought that was already decided when the Supreme Court voted 7-2 in the case last year. But that case was about residency requirements, not about shipping. So, a judge in the Sixth Circuit Courts of Appeal, which is one step below the Supreme Court, decided after being on the losing side in last year's case, he was going to take exactly the same position again in the Leavenworth case. And even though the Supreme Court had expressly rejected his reasoning, he jumped in and says, I'm going to do it anyway. That's why it's supposed to work, but we're uh, <laughs> we're going to see. All of a sudden, you get Judge Sutton out of the blue changing the standard. The state didn't even bring up the argument that Sutton used in his opinion. I was completely floored by this decision. I thought the Supreme Court was going to make the standard on it. The circuits would follow along. But that's how it's supposed to work, and it did not work that way. So Sutton in the Supreme Court is an arc conservative who was nominated to the – I'm sorry, not Supreme in the appeals court – was nominated to the appeals court by George W. Bush, and the nomination was controversial, even though it took two years for him to be approved. Two years. In 2014, Sutton wrote an opinion that reversed six district court rulings that upheld same-sex marriage. That made the Sixth Circuit incompatible with previous rulings striking down same-sex. The Supreme Court subsequently overturned Sutton in spectacular fashion, which guaranteed same-sex couples the right to marry in all 50 states. Well, Sutton has been a little upset about the Supreme Court doing that, although he's well-respected by the Supreme Court, as he is one of the justices who sends the most law clerks to work at the court. But he does not return that respect. So, he is, again coming in with another ruling, another argument, coming back for more, if you will. Sutton's opinion captured the attention of at least one Supreme Court justice. We don't know which one, but it could be a lethal. Because the court asked in September for briefs in the case. This is already a big step toward being heard. The Supreme Court received more than 5,000 petitions a year, and here's less than 3% of those. So do the math, not many. On Monday, the Supreme Court decided not to hear a different wine case, Walmart Stores versus Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission. Texas has a law banning public corporations from owning a liquor license, which Walmart claims discriminates against out-of-state business, since Walmart does own liquor license. Lemonoff is much more clean commerce clause case than was Walmart's. So therefore, the issue is far, as far as the Supreme Court is concerned, do they want to hear this case and decide it now, or do they want to let it percolate up 
through the system. Since the Tennessee decision, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died and was replaced by Amy Coney Barrett. However, this shouldn't affect the coalition of votes needed for a decision because the justices voted 7-2 against the discrimination case in Tennessee. Although alcohol issues don't usually break down along traditional liberal conservative lines, this should not make a difference here. The Supreme Court has wide dis- discretion to act as it likes, and it is possible that it could simply remand the case to the Sixth Circuit Court for reconsideration. It could also ignore the Laminoff ruling, deny hearing, and wait another year or more for the issue to take up again after it's bounced around the courts. So, the point could be that as soon as this spring, we could hear another argument in favor of consumers having wine shipped. This last one, the Tennessee one, was not just, but this one's consumers within the states and out of states and all sorts of stuff. This could be as early as this spring. The Supreme Court could take this up and look at it, or it might be another year, maybe even two, before they get around to doing it. We'll have to wait and see. And as I find out stuff, I'll let you know. But once I saw this new thing at the Supreme Court, I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go again. This should be fun. And it is, as always. Anything that deals with wine in the Supreme Court is always fun. So there we go. I've got you caught up for this week. We will see you next week for our last show of 2020 and our Christmas and New Year's show for what it's worth. And... uh, have yourself a safe week. And yeah. uh, uh, we shall return. And uh Yeah. Happy Hanukkah again. Yeah. We'll see you all on December the seventeenth, seven PM Eastern time, right here on All About Wine, which is Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, Twitch, and we don't know who else out there, but a lot of uh, a lot of Yes, <laughs> we'll pick it up. Uh, thank you again, and um, have a great week. We'll see you on next Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thanks for listening. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Yeah.